There are many ways to make the name of Jesus great, to exalt his name. Many things that can be done to exalt his name, and one of them pertains to the way that we treat the word of God. Uh, When Isaiah wrote in chapter 66, he said, This is the one whom you esteem, whom God esteems. He who is humble and contrite in heart and trembles before your word. Humble, contrite, and trembles before your word. When the world sees the treasure and the value that we place on the word of God, that we hunger for it, that we love it, that we drink from it, that we let it wash us, that we treasure it, that we hide it in our heart, that we take it with us where we go, that it's on our lips, that we speak it. It makes the name of Jesus great. It does. And so I am so grateful for a church in this place that loves the Word of God. We're going to turn um, to Matthew chapter 7 this morning. We're carrying on in the Sermon on the Mount, coming near to the end of our series. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be reading verses 1 to 12 in just a couple of minutes. Just a couple of words of uh, introduction before I begin to read those words and preach. When Peter is preaching to the crowds in Jerusalem, uh, a little bit after Pentecost, Acts chapter 3, he calls them to repentance. And he says this to them. He says, repent and turn to the Lord so that times of refreshing may come to you. Your sins may be washed away. Times of refreshing may come. And that he may send the Christ, even the Messiah, who must remain in heaven until the time comes for him to restore all things. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for him to restore all things. When John has a vision of Jesus on the island of Patmos, chapter 21 records Jesus saying to John, Behold, or look, I am making all things new. I'm restoring all things. So Jesus says, present tense, I'm, I'm making all things new. I'm restoring all things. And it also says in Acts, the time is coming when he's going to return to restore all things. The good news of the kingdom of God is that through Jesus Christ, God is restoring all things. Through his life, his death, his resurrection from the dead, new creation, and our faith in him. And that restoration, sometimes, if you look at the world, it doesn't look like restoration's happening. It looks like chaos is happening. 
it looks like everything but restoration is happening. Because the kingdom of God and the restoration that comes through it happens one person at a time. And it happens by one changed heart, one new heart at a time. Which is why, as Jesus has been preaching this sermon, which some call his manifesto, that he's aiming for the heart the whole time. We've heard that. He's going deeply toward the heart. We've heard him do that for message after message after message. And then we turned a corner where we heard him say now to all of his disciples, including us, now seek First, the kingdom of God. You're following me? Your heart is changed by the Holy Spirit? Seek first. Give your life for the kingdom of God. Go after these things. And then what does he do? He addresses two things, two obstacles that are uh, function to get in the way of many people effectively seeking first the kingdom of God. The first one we heard last week was worry. Worry is a dead weight. You cannot carry worry and anxiety and effectively follow Jesus because following him requires faith and steps of obedience and stepping into uncomfortable places and stretching yourself beyond what you can do in your own human capacity. You cannot both do that and carry large amounts of worry and anxiety. They will hold you back. And so we heard Jesus very simply say, look, Your life so belongs to God the Father that not a hair can fall from your head without the will of your Father in heaven. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. Trust the Father. Seek the kingdom. Worry is not to be an issue in the life of a believer. So it's kind of like he just took one dead weight off if you're listening to him. Okay, here comes a second one. A major obstacle to continuing to seek first the kingdom of God has to do with what we allow to grow in our hearts, particularly around the issue or the word of judgment. And um, this impacts all of us. Me too. And I'm going to share some of my own struggles as part of the sermon. But let's read, let's read the text first. Matthew 7, 1 to 12. This is all one section. I'm not going to... Uh, preach on, I think it's verse 5 or 6. It's uh, 6. is notoriously difficult to understand, and I, I'll just not comment on it today. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust or straw in your brother's or sister's eye and pay no attention to the plank or the beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye. Don't give to dogs what's sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are inclined toward evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. God's word. Mm -hmm. I've got Pastor Jalisa's voice in my head. There's been a couple of times, I can't tell you when and where, where we've had gatherings. Maybe it's been the staff gathering. Maybe it's been when we did Lab Rats at Pastor Gina's uh, leadership development. I, I can't tell you when, but there's been a couple of times where we've had, I want to say, four or five dessert options out. And I'm not normally a big dessert guy. But for some reason, in these situations, they've all looked so good to me that I've, I've sat there kind of eyeing them all. And, and she said something to me about a well, difficult choice. And I said, uh, I, I kind of want to have one of each of them. <laughs> and at least two or three different times, she said to me, don't worry, Pastor Dave, nobody's going to judge you. You can have as much as you want. <laughs> no, it's it's lighthearted, and she's joking. You know, she uh, uh, means nobody's going to think you're a glutton or think worse of you. Uh, <clears throat> but but actually, this this whole idea of the determinations that we make about other people or the the judgments that we form in our hearts, it's really serious, and I think uh, often functions at a more of a subconscious level or a, uh, we're less aware of it level than, um, than otherwise. And I want to tell you a story, a fictional story, that I think really illustrates the, the, the power of judgments. I first came across this story in a, it's a summarized version of it in a message by the late uh, Reverend Jim Ventolin. And I want to read a couple of paragraphs from that summary to you now. Ian Bedloe is a normal young man in a specially cheery family in Ann Tyler's novel, Saint Maybe. His mind at 17 years old is full of hope and expectation concerning his college life, his career options, and his girlfriend. Ian's brother, Danny, is in a very different position. He's recently married to a young woman named Lucy. He is blissfully happy even though he's just taken on the responsibility of Lucy's two children, and there's one more on the way. The trouble is that Ian sees right through Lucy. He sees that she's playing Danny for a fool, 
a chump who will work long hours to pay the bills while she dallies behind his back. Well, one evening after Ian has had to take care of the kids himself and his own plans for the night have been ruined and his frustrations with Danny's ignorance of what's really going on is at an all-time high, he explodes at his brother. He tells him the whole sordid affair about Lucy's infidelity, about his being used, about the fool he is being played for all the world to see. Danny, stunned, hurt, uncertain, leaves to go home. At least that's what Ian thinks Danny's doing. A moment later, he hears Danny's car accelerating wildly toward the brick wall at the end of the street. Another second, then the crash. Ian is devastated by this turn of events. He learns that he was wrong about Lucy. He learns that he misunderstood the situation. He knows that he said those things to his brother because his own evening wasn't what he'd hoped. And so now, Danny is dead. It's fictional, but the premise is real. The judgments that we make, the things that we allow ourselves to believe about other people, have profound life-altering impacts upon them, upon us, also upon others with whom we may share those judgments. I have seen friendships obliterated, come apart at the seams because of judgments that one person has allowed to grow in their heart about another. I have seen relationships between siblings ripped to pieces because judgments have formed against another. I have seen children and young people and teenagers close their hearts to their parents. And I've seen parents close their hearts to their children and connection disappear because judgments have been formed in the heart. I have seen marriages filled with tension, with misunderstanding, and even ending in divorce because Judgments were formed in the heart. I have seen people with ministry callings on their lives taken out of ministry because in different ways I've seen people allow judgment into their own heart, sometimes against a leader in ministry, and they get taken out because they let judgment grow up within them. But I've also seen people taken out of ministry because they had so many judgments formed against them that they just couldn't sustain the wounding of it. Judgments, what we allow into our heart about other people, have um, incredibly real, uh, pervasive impact 
And so we need to understand really clearly what is it that Jesus means and doesn't mean when he says don't judge or you too will be judged with the measure you use, so will it be measured against you. And the reason I say we need to understand clearly is because there are other scriptures that tell us to judge. And the scripture uh, always needs to be read together. Uh, This is one of the most fundamental uh, points of interpretation. The Holy Spirit is the author of all scripture. He does not differ. And so when scripture seems to contradict scripture, we need to ask meaningful questions. So now I'm going to I'm going to share a scripture where we're called to judge, ask a few questions and then talk about what Jesus means and doesn't mean. So 2 Corinthians 5, Paul, or 1 Corinthians 5, Paul's writing to the church, and he's dealing with a situation in which all of these new believers have got wonderful freedom in Christ. They're not under the law, and they, can, they are free, and one particular person is saying, I'm going to use my freedom to sleep with my dad's wife. Uh, it's, it's not his mother. It's one of those situations where his dad's wife's not his mom, but it's still not okay for him to be sleeping with her. And Paul's saying, uh, church, what are you doing? Like, I'm hearing that this is happening and you're not doing anything about it. You should be making a judgment. He says, and he says, isn't it time for judgment or judging? And he uses the exact same word that Jesus uses in Matthew seven. Isn't it time for that to begin with the church? It's none of my business to judge the world that's outside of Christ, but shouldn't we inside be, in, be making judgments? And the answer that's expected from the way that he posits it is, yes, absolutely. So how do we understand Paul saying that we are to judge and Jesus saying we aren't to judge? What Paul means when he says that we're to judge is he means that we are to echo God's judgments. That is, we're to say what God says about a particular matter. That if God says something's right, we say it's right. If God says something is not okay, we echo that judgment and we don't uh, bless something that's not okay. In other words, uh, God has said, very simply, don't lie. And so if somebody would say, I belong to Jesus Christ, and yet there would be a pattern of lying, perhaps lying to parents, perhaps lying to classmates, perhaps lying to uh, colleagues at work, whatever the, the pattern may be, there is a pattern of deceit. We've got to say to that person, hey, this is not okay. The Holy Spirit, whom you've received when you came to faith, he is a spirit of truth. There is no deceit in God. It is not okay for you to partner with with deceit. That's like rebellion against God. You can't do that. You're to be pure and holy and filled with light. See what I'm saying? We are echoing God's judgment, what God has said about a matter. We're making a judgment. In other words, it, there's, there has to be a very clear uh, understanding of what it means to be a Christian, to belong to God, and to represent him in the world. We cannot represent him if we do not know his character and his standards, right? 
So we echo those judgments. But we are to do that without ourselves entering into judgment of the person to whom we are speaking those things. In other words, we must make or enact these judgments without entering into personal judgment of people. Uh, Another way of saying this is it's off limits for me to entertain a thought about a person that Jesus isn't thinking about them. It's off limits for me to entertain a thought about a person that Jesus isn't thinking about them. And what do the scriptures tell us about the way that Jesus approaches all of us? Yeah, in love. The scriptures tell us there's, there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the spirit of life, we've been set free from the law of sin and death by the, the spirit of life. The Holy Spirit is a spirit who constantly draws into life. Even when he's pointing out sin, convicting of sin, he's doing so, like we said earlier, with refining to give and to bring life. So the word of God, the heart of God toward anyone and everyone is to bring life. Okay? This is why when Paul is writing about uh, the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? It means I don't look at anyone according to their old sinful nature. I might be seeing that sinful nature. It may be on display. It may be impacting me. But I don't look at them through that. I look at them through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's a fundamental difference. Instead of relating to somebody through their sin, their old nature, I don't regard them that way. I relate to them through the cross of Jesus Christ. This is copying Jesus. Romans 5 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. So how does God approach us? How does he view us? Not according to the old nature that we all had and were dead in. He comes to us and he dies for us. That's his approach. The approach is, I love you so much, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to endure pain that you can't even imagine so that you can come in a reconciled relationship for me with me. That's how he approaches us. And Paul's saying, that's how I approach every other person. Through Christ. Through the cross of Christ. In other words, my approach to them is to be the same as God's. Sometimes I endure pain to make a way for reconciliation. That even when I come to speak to them, because God speaks to us about our sin. He doesn't not speak to us about the stuff that's impeding relationship with him. He's candid, but he just does it so graciously and kindly. It's his kindness that leads to repentance, right? And so it's supposed to be the same way as we go to talk to people. Um, one way that you could, you, could dis- 
you could catch a vision for how we're to relate to everyone else is simply thinking about what is it like in heaven? What are relationships like in heaven? In heaven, there's the community of the redeemed saints and the angels. And in heaven, there's nothing but pure, holy love and honor between every being and another being. And it helps me to picture it because Jesus always talks about what proceeds from our inner being or from our heart. So in my mind's eye, I picture like what's coming from my heart toward another person. Maybe that helps you, maybe it doesn't. But I, th- I think about what's coming from my heart. Pure, holy love and honor toward every other person being. And we're to live from heaven to earth. We're to pray, thy kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. And so in every other, every relationship I have, a close relationship, a connected relationship, a deep relationship, but also the not so close ones, people that are further away, every person I engage with, through the love of Jesus Christ. Well, I think we all agree with that in theory. I think we think that's a wonderful idea. And then I think we experience hurt. We experience disappointment. We get offended. We get irritated. We have resentment. And we got wedges between us and other people. Blockages. And it's much, much harder to do what the Lord's calling us to do, particularly when we're impacted by someone else's sin. Um, This is the spot where I think where we're most tempted toward forming judgments in our heart when we're impacted by someone else's sin. And um, I've got Peter's permission. Again, our oldest, he's not here. But um, he and I talked this week, and he said I could share this with you. Um, We went through a really difficult period with Peter probably about two and a half, three and a half years ago. And um, he and I went through a very, very difficult period. Um, A lot of it centered around... Um, His attitudes and behaviors, he'd let some things into his heart that shouldn't be there. And it was manifesting in unkindness towards siblings. And we had um, daily prolonged tension and arguments. And um, parenting was very challenging. But it was made worse by the fact that I entered into judgments against him. So it's not just that he was sinning against siblings or against Anari. It was also that in many occasions he was guilty before we got to talking about it. And not only was he guilty before we got to talking about it, 
But I started making assumptions about his motivations. I started making assumptions about what was in his heart. And that's that, friends, is forbidden territory. We're not to do that. And because I was doing that, um, we were cut off from each other. We both had judgments against each other. And um, I praise God we're not there right now. We're um, fully reconciled. Uh, lots of apologies, but deeply connected, deep love. And, um, and yet uh, there's been a process where I've had to recognize and he's had to recognize that we formed judgments. We had assumptions and we formed judgments against each other that um, deeply impacted our relationship. And I want to say a little bit about assumptions because I, I, I think assumptions are like judgments in infancy. They're not the same thing, but they have the tendency, if left unchecked, to grow into and toward judgments. And uh, I had shared with me a really helpful quote this past week. But if I can find it, I'd like to share with you. Um, Here it is. This is from Pete Scazzaro, a pastor from New York City. And he writes this. Every time I make an assumption about someone who has hurt or disappointed me without confirming it, I believe a lie about this person in my head. The assumption is a misrepresentation of reality. Because I have not checked it out with the other person, it's very possible I'm believing something untrue. It is also likely I will pass that false assumption around to others. When Jesus uses the words, um, first take the log or the beam out of your own eye, then you can see right to address something in your brother or sister's eye. He's not talking about sin in general, although we can apply his words rightly to sin in general. Um, It is correct that I should deal with sin in my own heart before I attempt to lead somebody else toward righteousness. But what he's specifically speaking of here, as he uses this image, right behind the words, don't judge or you too will be judged, is that when you allow judgments, assumptions that turn into judgments, or you enter into judgment of a person, when you allow that to grow up within your heart and then you engage in relationship with that person, you do damage. That's what the image is meant to convey. If I'm attempting to 
speak with Jackie, and I'm attempting to think about this in terms of proximity. Relationships require trust, and as I come into a relationship and I come to speak to her and I get close to her, close enough to get something small out of her eye, if I've got a judgment, a big being, in my own eye, what I'm going to do is damage to her. Okay? I think that's a primary way this, this metaphor that Jesus is using is supposed to function. And I, my own experience confirms this as true. That, and I, I could give you um, many painful examples. I, I shared things in the beginning of the sermon, but I have, I have engaged in this. I have eaten judgment's bitter fruit. Um, and I can tell you that when I parent this way, when I um, engage in conflict with Anne and I have assumptions or judgments in my heart or in friendships or in ministry, that when we do that, we damage. And the only way around that is to move slow enough that I'm able to somehow stay attentive to and draw upon the love of Jesus Christ for this person. This is really hard. Okay? But it's not impossible. Which is why in the NIV you might have a text break, but there's no break in the Greek. This is why immediately following Jesus calling on us to not judge, he carries on with the words ask, seek, and knock. And then he repeats them by saying, for the one who, and the form is here, keeps on asking will receive. The one who keeps on seeking will find. The one who keeps on knocking will have the door open. And what are they going to find and receive? And what door is going to be opened? Well, what does he say next? The next thing he says is, look, you've got such a good father in heaven. If, if you, though you're inclined toward evil, give good gifts to your children, how much more won't your father give you good gifts? Well, what good gift are you asking for? Well, what's the thing that he says next? Do unto everyone as you'd have them do unto you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. What's the summary of the law and the prophets elsewhere? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? I I want to be treated with the utmost of mercy. I know I'm a sinner. I know I make mistakes. I want to be approached um, through the lens of mercy. And without assumption. And I want people to be patient with me. And slow to anger. And I want them to listen. And I want them to ask good questions. And I want them to give me the benefit of the doubt. I, you know, I know all, we know all the things we want. And he's saying, live that way. And living that way, I recognize, requires my heart. Right In um, these very same words as they're recorded in Luke also have the words, um, how much more will he not give 
his Holy Spirit to those who ask. Right? So it's the Holy Spirit who produces the love of Jesus Christ in us for others. It's not natural. Natural is to be offended. Natural is to be irritated. Natural is to be resented. Natural is to be uh, to form judgments and assumptions. That's natural. That's our flesh. That's our old nature. That's what's dying. What's being given to us from Jesus Christ is a new nature, a new ability to operate by the Spirit, to draw upon the love of Jesus Christ in every situation so that no matter what is coming at me, even if I am under judgment or accusation or slander or I'm not being misunderstood or I'm not being asked or I can still slowly reflect the peace and the love and the graciousness and the kindness of the Lord without entering into or forming judgments in my own heart. Michael W. Smith, I heard a quote from him recently. I saw a little interview. And he said, I have two great prayers that I pray all the time. I pray, God, make me a conduit of your presence in every situation into which you draw me, every conversation, every interaction. And he said, my other prayer is, for the rest of my life, make me unoffendable. Make me unoffendable. I think that these two, as I reflect on it, are intricately related. That we can remain a conduit of God's love as we keep a pure, unoffended heart that doesn't pick up and pass on assumptions or judgments about others, nor enter into judgment about others. And I want to close by sharing uh, a line that has been helpful to me over the last year, maybe two. It's real simple. We don't know what we don't know. We can't see what we can't see. And I've just, I've been so thankful at the mercy of God that when we pray, we ask him, he'll show us things. And he's been showing me. Like I couldn't see what I was doing with Peter. Couldn't see it. And so let's close by asking him for his mercy to just show us, Lord, where am I engaging in um, relating to anyone? Parent, child, sibling, coworker, ministry colleague, leader, whatever the case may be. Where am I relating to anyone um, out of judgment? Where do I have assumptions? 
Uh, I'm going to just ask Kayleen, would you mind to just uh, play quietly on the piano? And I'm going to lead us into a few minutes of just silence before the Lord, uh, asking him to search our hearts. And I think this is a work the Lord will continue to unfold. But uh, let's posture our hearts before him now and ask him to show us. Lord God, we thank you again that when you refine, it is for freedom. And that you want to um, remove things that have, have not just blocked our fellowship with other people, but actually they've blocked our fellowship with you. Some of us have lost a degree of tenderness. It's, like, it's kind of like calluses have formed over our hearts as we've let judgments form toward others. And you want to tenderize us again. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you now to reveal to us any ways that we've entered into, partaken in judgment. And um, we pray, help us to agree with you fully and um, lift the, to have those judgments removed 